Hello, and welcome to On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. I'm your host, Rachel A. Brune, and before I was an author and a publisher, I was a reader. Join me every week as I share what I'm reading, chat with other authors about their new releases, and make progress towards my Goodreads reading challenge. Grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and let's talk about what's on the shelf. Welcome back. Let's do this again. Uh, Let's talk about books. (laughs) So as I was getting ready to get this part of the episode recorded, I realized that I kind of left off last week on a bit of of a down note, a little bit of a, oh man, I'm in a slump and I'm not doing any of the things that I want to do and woe is me, blah, blah, blah. And I finished editing and putting that together and po- and scheduling it so it would get ready to go. And I went upstairs and I thought, what am I going to do to make myself feel better? Let me go read a book. <laughs> and I did. Uh, the, the one that I actually picked up was called A House at the Bottom of a Lake by Josh Mallerman that nobody has really found or seen or told them about. In order to get to it, they have to go through this tunnel, kind of like a sewer tunnel or something. And they end up in this kind of, like I said, just kind of like a lake, but this lake has a house in it. And when I say a house, yes, it is literally a house at the bottom of a lake. The title does not lie. And something that I really admire about Mallerman's writing is that he packs so much story into the pages. It's not a super long book, but every sentence feels like it does double duty in both advancing the plot as well as giving you information about the characters. Um, For instance, you'll see them exploring this house, which of course they're like, we got to go explore this house. Uh, I personally, if I found a creepy house in the bottom of a lake, I would not do that. But they are two young teenagers who feel like they're going to live forever. And to them, it is new territory, something to explore. And of course, through through the course of their exploration, the house begins to exert a greater and greater pull. It was just a really excellent, well-plotted, well-written, very tight read, and I highly recommend it. And then after that, I kind of went on a bit of a spree of reading some nonfiction books about rewilding and mindfulness, and I'm not really sure why or how that happened. Um, I have a story that I've been turning around in my mind for about 10 years now and recently decided to put one of the, or one of the things that I wanted to put in it was the, one of the characters rewilding their yard. And I'm just, I'm very interested in uh, this idea of, making your yard friendly for native animals, making it bee and bird friendly. It's something that I would love to do at some point. And so all of those interests kind of came together and I grabbed a bunch of books. And here's something interesting. The rewilding books, the the first couple that I picked up, 
I ordered, I mean, I put on a hold at the library so they can get it from a different uh, library. Didn't realize that I was asking for um, maybe like juvenile books. Like these are books that they would put in the kids section so kids can learn about ecology and the environment. And I read them. And yes, I sure did count them towards my Goodreads reading challenge. And, you know, I, there was something that's enjoyable about reading something that gives you information, but is presented in a way to capture the imagination of somebody who might be a little bit younger. And so there's lots of pictures, there's lots of uh, great little case stories that illustrate the points that they're making. I found it to be a really enjoyable experience. And I'm kind of glad that that is where I started. Um, from, from there, the next couple of books that I got, one was called Rewilding Meditations, Practices, and Skills for Awakening in Nature by Micah Mortali. That one, I did not realize, was more of like a personal rewilding, like rewilding your soul through mindfulness, which honestly, I'm like, all right, let me check it out. And there is a lot along the lines of go take a walk in nature and pay attention to your breathing and be present and do some yoga. And honestly, I'm all about that. So I was like, you know what? I would like to go for a walk in nature um, and I would like to practice some yoga. Let me do that. (laughs) So yeah, that was, that was a fun book. And honestly, if you're at a point where you need to sit and maybe relax and reset, it's actually a really good book for doing that. And when I finished reading it, I really did feel like I was more energized to go about my day and to kind of maybe get some more reading done, get some more writing done, um, get some more stuff done around the house, which is probably not the reason why uh, Mr. Mortali wrote the book, uh, but that's kind of what happened in my life. <laughs> All right. And then the last book that I want to talk about, Honor Among Punks uh, by Guy Davis and Gary Reed, is a graphic novel that is set in this modern Victorian age where it's not steampunk, but more as envisioned by writers in the 90s. Because <laughs> uh, this is very much a 90s punk comic collection. And the premise is that there's these punk gangs, one of which is led by this character named Sharon, who is in a relationship with another woman. And the two of them hire a brand new medical student to be their housekeeper in exchange for free rent. So you can kind of see the Holmesian references that are going on here. There's some really great artwork. If you are into the nineties punk aesthetic, like the zine art, the, the hair and the music and the, the club scene, all of that, you're going to enjoy this. It's, it's very much a, a project of its time. And by that, I mean, you can see, you can see the nineties all throughout, (laughs) all throughout which, okay, listen, the 90s was when I was in high school and college and I was exploring who I was and figuring that out. And I was going to college in New York and I was listening to music and I was um, hanging out with friends. And I didn't, I don't think I could say that I had a specific aesthetic, 
but I really enjoyed punk music. I really enjoyed the fashion. I never really participated in it because I um, don't really participate in any fashion whatsoever. If ever you ever met me, you would know this is true. <laughs> However, I do something about this book had me thinking. And one of the things that it had me thinking was about how far maybe we've come with treatment of queer characters in comics. And this, this uh, collection really did have a number of queer characters represented, which was kind of not all that common in the 90s, at least not that I remember. Um, it, it's been a while, but and I was mostly reading superhero comics but I don't remember a lot of queer representation at that time. And, and so with that context, there is a character who is eventually revealed to be uh, transgender and the treatment within the comic book or within this particular comic book, Honor Among Punks, I think at the time was maybe not seen as problematic, but I think if you were reading it today, it's like a more, um, you know, we've kind of come a long way. And so I think people would see some, some problematic areas in the treatment of that character. And, and, and truly it was like, okay, now that I know that's happening, I know I can see what's coming because there's a reason why this particular trope is now seen as problematic because it became pretty, uh, pretty popular and became a cliche. And now in 2023, we're like, Hey, that's, you know, <laughs> that's what it is. I've, I've got some thoughts about it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the trip down memory lane. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my phone is reminding me that it's time to actually finish this up and edit it because it's time to get going with my life for the week. Um, I am back on my reading streak. I am back on my Goodreads reading challenge. In fact, I'm uh, not too, I'm not too far behind. Actually, you know, let me go check. I'm going to check this right now. I am eight books ahead of schedule. Woohoo! Um, so, <laughs> and what's funny about that is I had to go and check because I've been uh, marking books as read on Goodreads, but I haven't really been checking out where I am. And I think maybe that's what's giving me a little or putting a little less pressure on me to read um, and allowing me to maybe have a little bit more fun with what I am reading. All right, so I'm going to stop talking because up next, I have a super <laughs> I always say super fun, but this is podcasting is a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying it. So <laughs> I hope you are too, if you're listening. Uh, but up next, I have an interview with poet and teacher Jean LeBlanc. And I am very much looking forward to sharing this interview with you. It was so much fun talking with Jeannie and her book that's out right now is so great, but I'm going to stop talking so that I can uh, bring her on, and then you can talk a little bit about her new work. Welcome back to On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. Today with me, I have Jean LeBlanc, 
who is a poet extraordinaire. And I was so hoping that she would release a collection while I was uh, while I was doing this so that I could specifically invite her on to talk about poetry because it is always a good time. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a bio and then we'll get started. Jean LeBlanc grew up in Massachusetts, just about halfway between Emily Dickinson and Henry David Thoreau. She now lives in Northwestern New Jersey with her husband and best friend, George Lightcap. She has taught writing and literature at Sussex County Community College since 1999 and is a member of several local poetry groups, the Writers' Roundtable of Sussex County, the Paul and Skill Poetry Project, and the Silconis Poetry Center, of which she is a past director. Her publications include poetry anthologies, as well as collections of her own work. Her 12th collection, Terrible Terrain, Poems Inspired by the Life of Lavinia Dickinson, was released this month. Her poetry advocates for an awareness of the beauty of this journey called life. Jean, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Me too. Um, and especially because this is not the first time that I've had the chance to talk to you about poetry. Uh, I think that when I was doing my conversations feature on my blog, I forget the the collection that was coming out, but uh, we had a chance to talk a little bit about poetry and writing and that sort of thing. Yes. So getting right into it, this collection is inspired by the life of Lavinia Dickinson. And I wanted to ask, how did that come to be? What What specifically drew your attention and created the inspiration to have this collection about Lavinia Dickinson? Um, well, I've always loved Emily Dickinson's poetry. And of course, there's numerous biographies of Emily Dickinson, so you can read about Emily. And the last time I read a biography of her, I realized that always there in the background and not too much in the background, is her sister. And little interesting tidbits would be dropped about her sister Lavinia, but of course the bio is about Emily. So then Lavinia kind of got pushed into the background again. And I was thinking, I'd love to write about Emily Dickinson, but what can possibly said that is new? And then I realized, ah, there's my way in, Lavinia. If I can't do you know, the scholarly research, what I can do with my creative work is imagine her life, imagine her voice, give her a voice and look at her world from her point of view. So then the, as I called them, then the Lavinia poems <laughs> started. When they started, were they, were they coming from a, a specific point of view? Or was it more your point of view excavating the information that was there? Yeah, I think a lot of that, um, I, I write a lot of persona poems. So poems in the voice of someone who is not me, even though the poem is in first person. Um, my whole book, I had the book about Henry David Thoreau, where a lot of those poems are, you know, again, persona poems. But yes, I, the way I approach a persona poem is that, yeah, I don't know 
the inner thoughts of this person. But in the case of Lavinia, it's like, I have sisters. I know people who have sisters. I know how sisters get along, don't get along, you know. So I just kind of took the psychology of sisters and then looked at the specific circumstances of Lavinia and Emily's life and relationship that I had read about and went from there. <laughs> when you were putting the collection together, either in the writing of the poems, the arranging of the poems at any point in the process, was there ever anything that maybe surprised or challenged you that you found to be maybe um, unknown or difficult? Hmm. Well, there were. Um, of course, there's there's a lot of mystery still about Emily's life, even though she wrote all those poems. Uh, she did not keep a diary. And there's so much scholarly speculation about, you know, why she sequestered herself as much as she did for much of her adult life. So there's still enough mystery there that I was able to explore that, again, from Lavinia's point of view. And, and I found it fascinating because Lavinia was the one who I think was much more sociable and outgoing and would have loved to have gone to whatever passed for a party in 18, you know, 60s Massachusetts. But I think she was also, Lavinia was also so drawn to protecting her sister or keeping an eye on her sister that, you know, we hear a lot about the, the single women in the 19th century who stay at home to take care of their aging parents. And I think for Lavinia, it was Emily um, that Lavinia really realized I'm the one who's kind of the caretaker here. And she knew her sister was, was special and you know needed the solitude that Emily needed. And Lavinia was protective of that. And the, the, the mystery is who knows what Lavinia might have done had she had more of her own life and more agency and freedom. But I don't write about her from the aspect of, of tragedy. You know, I think she, she lived a full life. She loved what she did. And of course, she was the one who eventually got Emily's poems to us. Without her, we wouldn't have known about Emily. So I love that aspect, especially. And I'm sure she had mixed emotions about that. And that was probably the most fun thing to write that, you know, it was kind of like her revenge, but in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of put my voice away all my life. Now I'm going to send your voice out into the world. So here we go. I'm imagining that the, the afterlife, such as it might be, could get a little spicy. Yes. <laughs> yes, I think so. I wonder if, because um, you, you refer to these as persona poems, and it does make me think about when the reader is opening the book and, and reading. So it's like there's there's a whole bunch of lenses going on here. There's the the facts of Lavinia as a as a historical person. There's the lens of the poem and the perspective of the poem. And then there's the reader who is 
who is getting all of this, would it help a reader to be familiar with Emily's uh, body of work? Would it be would it be more helpful to do that, or is this something that people could open and start getting an understanding of the historical context from the poems, or even something else? Yeah, I hope the poems stand alone, but I think certainly any reader would be enriched if they know a little bit about Emily, because I do have a few allusions and sometimes a stolen line or two that Lavinia will repeat. Um, but I think Lavinia, I, I had Lavinia explicate enough so that the poems should be obvious, even if you're not sure going in who Austin is, who Ned is, some of the other relatives. Um, so she'll say, you know, our brother Austin or something like that. And yeah, so I, I hope they stand alone, but certainly the more you know about Emily Dickinson, um, I think the more you'll start to see, oh, look at that, she put that little detail in there. <laughs> so this is your 12th collection. So this is not, not your first time in print. Was there anything that you did differently? Were there things that you were like, man, I have to do this this time because I've always want to try it? Was there anything that stood out about the process of putting this particular collection together? Yeah, there's, there's an interesting little aspect of this collection that I've, I've never tried before. One of the courses I teach is called deep breath, literary masterpieces of the Western world one. <laughs> so it's ancient and medieval literature from, you know, ancient Greece, um, Hebrew Testament, all the way up to medieval Europe. And I love medieval poetry. And I especially love the riddle poems. So as I was writing these poems, I was teaching that course. And I thought the aspect of a riddle that's a fascinating thing because Emily's a riddle, Lavinia's an even bigger riddle. So I actually have a few riddle poems and riddle is right in the title or in the, the body of the, the poem. So I did that, um, but otherwise, no, it was just my little imagining, you know, day-to-day -day life in 19th century Amherst. And of course it helped that I've been to Amherst now so I could kind of, imagine the places as they were then. I've done the tour of the Dickinson homestead. So all of this helped and I just, I always look at poetry as time travel. I think, you know, the best kept secret in writing is that we've discovered time travel. We can go to the future, to the past. And that's what I did with my Thoreau poems. And I did that with Emily as well. So, would you like to share perhaps the selection or an excerpt? Sure. So here's the very first poem in the book, which is First Riddle. I am not the one. I am sister to the one, slightly off from what you were expecting. I am not of this time. Neither are you, really or why would you be reading this? I spend this life trying not to think too much of the next. There is more than one next. 
we all three started early, my two siblings and I. I lasted the longest. I, who did so little of note, destroyed too much. But what remains, remains because of me. Do all somebodies worry about being nobody? The answer to this riddle is a riddle. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> Would you like a, um, another one? Sure. Let's see. Um, so I tried to imagine the two different houses that the Dickinson, Dickinson children would have lived in. There's the one that still exists now, but they actually lived in a slightly different part of town um, when they were younger. And that house is now gone. It's, a, it's now a gas station. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that it would have overlooked the cemetery where the whole family is now buried. And there were a lot of Dickinson relatives. So it's like every stone says Dickinson. So I imagined that with, you know, a, a young girl kind of looking out her bedroom window at a cemetery. So here's the cemetery from my bedroom window. The world is all corners, a temple for each heart, a star fort from whose walls the soldiers can fire upon those who would attempt a breach. Infrequent attempts at break-in here. Once a week or so, someone new takes the winding route through stone. On the edge, the ones in black mourners, I am told. Gravel to grave, they walk gravel to grave and back. I watch and wait. That, I remind myself, is miracle enough. Ooh, I've got chills. <laughs> so I uh, thank you so much. I, I So I have my copy coming. It is on its way. <laughs> I would I would love for you to share where can people find you online and where can people find a copy of this book for themselves? Okay, so I do have um, Jean LeBlanc Poetry Facebook page. So if you search Facebook for Jean LeBlanc Poetry, I'm there. I used to have a blog. It's still there, but I, I haven't added to it in a long time. You know yourself, you know, blogs were so great when they started and now we're like uh, blogs. <laughs> Um, but that is still there and people can go look at my back work. I have a lot of my artwork on there as well. That was the nice one, nice thing about blogs. Um, and the, this book itself, Terrible Terrain is available from Shanti Arts Publishing. That's S-H-A-N-T-I, Shanti Arts, A-R-T-S Publishing. So if you Google that, um, you can find their whole catalog there and you'll see terrible terrain um, either under poetry or under their newer books. Was that it? Was that everything you asked me? I think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll make it easy for people. I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can go ahead, click and grab a copy. So once again, Jean, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I enjoyed our talk. I very much enjoyed the poetry. Thank you again for coming on. 
Oh, thank you, Rachel. This was so much fun. Thank you. All right, and that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have been enjoying not just my book rundowns and my Goodreads reading challenge updates, and of course, all of the fabulous guests who have come to talk to me on the show, uh, but also the bonus episodes, which I'm I'm doing some thinking about the formatting of the show, and I, I feel like maybe... I don't want to call those bonus episodes anymore. I'm really having a lot of fun exploring reading and books with people who really enjoy those things. And so I'm thinking about maybe incorporating those as regular episodes into the show. And if you're listening and you want to stop by the Facebook group, I'll pose this question over there if you want to um, share your thoughts on the subject. In the meantime, I will be at Scares That Care AuthorCon at the end of the month. And this is a really fabulous horror literature convention that takes place. Um, the second one actually will be taking place because last year was their very first one. This is going to be in Williamsburg, Virginia from March 31st through April 2nd. It is an all-volunteer charity, and it's one of the most fun conventions, horror-based conventions, that I have been to. The vibe is very friendly. It is, it is just awesome. It's just a big group of people who all really love horror fiction, and since that is something that I also love, I will be there. So if you'd like to come on down, if you do happen to attend, stop by the Crone Girls press table and I will see you there. All right. Until then, until next week, happy reading and I will see you next Thursday on the shelf. You have been listening to an episode of On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. This has been a Devil Tree production. All the books mentioned in the podcast can be found in the series notes. If you would like to help make this show happen, you can tip me on my coffee page, follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or simply like, subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on The Shelf. <laughs>